Welcome to Lynn Cullen Live. Talk radio without the static. Email your questions and comments to lynn at pghcitypaper.com. And now your host, Lynn Cullen. Hey there, and a good morning at you. It's, uh, it's Monday. It's uh, Martin Luther King Day. Very quiet here downtown. Uh, because I guess a lot of you have the day off, which is good. Good. Um, it's January what? 20th? Yeah. Yeah, it's Martin Luther King Day, you idiot. Yeah, it's January 20th. Um, so I guess this impeachment trial starts uh, this week sometime. Huh? I'm I'm loath to to stay uh, updated on the on everything because it's just too it's too depressing. It really is. You know what? My these headphones are are pushing my earrings into my the, are those my usual ones? Yeah. God, it's okay. I just have to take my earrings off because it's pushing the posts into my something head ears. Um, okay. <coughs> oh dear, what to talk about? <laughs> There's an awful lot. There is an awful lot. Uh, two stories that caught my eye over uh, this weekend. Uh, one that made me laugh and uh, the other that made me weep. Not really, but metaphorically. The one that made me laugh was the, uh, was the unveiling of the uh, uniforms that uh, our new uh, branch of the military uh, will wear. And the new branch, in case you hadn't heard, is we now have a U.S. space force. Yeah. So the new uniforms are camo, regular camo, which, you know, I, it just, the minute you saw it, you started to laugh. Uh, being that, of course, in space, <laughs> uh, camo, uh, uh, would stand out quite a bit. Um, it wouldn't have the desired effect. <coughs> um, but uh, funnier people than I have uh, have posted little um, items of, about it. But God Almighty! And then, I mean, the two reasons given is they were trying to save money because we already have. I'm sure, this is <laughs> sure. Oh, we know when it comes to the military, this country always is very penny, minds its pennies. Um, and the other uh, one had a little more, uh, the other reason had a little more efficacy, I would say, because it was that even though it's called the Space Force, uh, the vast majority of people working for it will never be in space they will be on the ground where camo may in fact, although they'll be in Washington, D.C. and places like that sitting behind computers. So I, uh, camo still doesn't work, I, mu I must say. Um, <clears throat> the other story that just freaked me out was the, I think the Washington Post broke this story, that the uh, National Archives uh, admitted and then apologized after the understandable outcry that it, it had actually altered the pictures uh, from Trump's inauguration and the Women's March um, that uh, quickly followed it. It was the day after the inauguration. So, excuse me, I didn't get that right. And what they did is, I mean, you remember that huge, huge march, but the picture blurred. I mean, they went to the trouble of looking at what the sign said and blurred things. 
that that they found um well i don't know not particularly uh appealing uh one sign that reads trump and gop keep your hands off women uh they said that I guess some of the signs had, you know, maybe sort of more graphic stuff. Whatever. Stop and think about the National Archives. That is the repository of all of our historic documents, of our um, our history. <laughs> and they thought it was incumbent on them to airbrush the reality of our history. It's not their job at all. Their job is to grab it and archive it, hold it for historians. Because something is unpleasant or doesn't jibe with the, you know, current political difficulties, you don't prettify it. You don't. I mean, the fact that anyone thought this was a was was something you would do at the National Archives is frightening. And I guess a lot of mostly what is so upsetting about it is you mean even the National Archives <laughs> is like what? Afraid of offending Trump or his followers or what? Now granted, this was not a picture that was in this was a picture for a an exhibit the archives were doing, so there would be people s looking at it, understandably children or something, right, whatever. That was one of the possibilities. So here, here's two things you get from that. What's the National Archives doing exhibits for? And if they do do exhibits, then at least choose material that you can show that you don't have to alter. I mean, altering historic documents is what we know who does that, or you know, the Soviet Union used. To, I used to, as a kid, just be astonished how they would just rewrite history with new. Oh well, uh, that whole that whole thing, that whole person just disappears from history. This is. This is how, I mean, it's just beyond belief. And I, even though they have apologized uh, rather quickly, I don't know. It's just another institution in our government that now, what? We have to be suspect of? It's 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 just... That's why I said it, 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 it just made, it made me weep, metaphorically. But I, I was simply stunned. Stunned. I thought I was beyond stunned, you know, where you couldn't get stunned anymore. But uh, that's not true. I'm still capable of what? And we need to keep that capability, uh, not lose it. Because the minute we lose it, we're gone. Um, there's a little interesting piece I saw, and I'm just throwing this out there. Um, I'm not sure what exactly it means, but the man who, at least until, I guess, Saturday held the position that Fiona Hill held, which is uh, the White House advisor on Russia and Europe, 
that was her position, um, he's gone. After, um, after Fiona, I think there was one other person, then he's gone, and now there's this guy, and he's gone. I find the fact that who's ever advising Trump on Russia seems to be a job that lasts about two seconds. Um, and what's more interesting about this last one, whose name is Andrew Peake, he was escorted out of the White House on Friday. Um, he was deemed, uh, this is according to some sources, he was deemed a national security risk. This is the president's advisor on Russia. He was deemed, well, of course, we would deem the president himself a national security risk. Now it turns out that the guy who's actually giving him advice on uh, Russia, where, of course, the country that is, that is uh, held in the clenched fist of, of Donald Trump's uh, boyfriend, Vladimir Putin. Um, so this guy apparently, Peak, was under investigation and he was removed <laughs> physically from the White House as a national security risk. Uh, of course, the Trump administration has said nothing. Do you, you know, they put out the president's schedule every day. There's nothing on it. The, the press secretary to this president has never had a press conference, press briefing. Um, we are being kept, the American people, in total darkness about what is occurring inside the people's house. And when information does emanate from the White House. Anyone in their right mind greets it with skepticism because this White House obfuscates, lies, misleads, misinforms as a just matter of normal business. So, um, anyway, there's one thing I'm looking at. It says, it is not every day that a presidential advisor gets removed by security because they're under investigation. Of course, this president, who surrounded himself with a den of, of, of con artists, thieves, and uh, self-dealers. <laughs> I mean, this is... Well, what I was saying before, we, we cannot lose our ability to be astonished by the daily goings-on of this administration. So, unclear about exactly what that uh, presages, I, I, I don't, I don't know. What else? Um, I noted um, last week or the week before that uh, Joe Biden uh, is a stutterer who, like many stutterers, has overcome his stutter in large part, but not totally. So while you don't hear him do, uh, you know, t t t t that, he has in his head that sometimes. So he, he looks for another word or he pauses for a minute or whatever. And that um, a lot of times, perhaps, when he seems like a little off or a little slow may in fact be him suppressing the stutter in the way he, as a man who has lived with a stutter almost his entire life, um, deals with it. So 
of course, uh, Republicans, some, have uh, taken to mocking Joe Biden for his uh, stutter. And this is not surprising. I mean, the president that they gave us uh, also... What the fuck? I don't care. Go away. Um, oh, God. You know what? Excuse me. Excuse me why I lose my mind because of technology. I don't need to look at a certificate to look at this piece. Will you go away? Thank you. I'm sorry. Uh, so... Another older man with a stutter who mostly overcame it, but still, I guess, you know, has an occasional struggle, was so outraged by the mockery of some, in particular, Donald Trump's daughter-in-law, she who married his son Eric, her name is Laura, I believe, Laura mocked uh, Joe Biden uh, for his uh, stutter. in uh, remarks she made at a Trump event. That became known to a guy who is universally thought to be a hero, whose name is Sully Sullenberger, the retired uh, U.S. Airways captain who made the amazing uh, landing on the Hudson River. And so he wrote an op-ed, and it's titled, I Dare You to Mock Me. And in his op-ed, he talked about the anguish of being a young child who stuttered, of being called on in school. And this now hero would say, my neck and face would quickly begin to flush bright red. Every eye in the room on me, the intense and painful humiliation and bullying that would follow, all because of my inability to get the words out. And he said those same feelings came rushing back when he heard about Trump's comments. Uh, he said, Sullenberger went on to say that he had wanted to talk. He said, what she did is so injurious to children who stutter. He said, what might a child who stutters, as I did, feel when they hear a grown-up on a public stage trying to make a bunch of other grown-ups laugh by ridiculing someone who stutters? And so Sullenberger in his op-ed went on to talk to those children. And he sounds like Mr. Rogers. You are fine, just as you are. You can do any job you can dream of when you grow up. Look at me. 
And then he went on to, again, level his rage at Laura Trump. A speech disorder, he wrote, is a lot easier to treat than a character defect. So... Dear God, there's that. And I want to share a story with you before we get into, I think, the astonishing uh, New York Times endorsement. <laughs> And, and if you don't know, the New York Times uh, editorial board today endorsed uh, two Democratic candidates um, of all of those currently running in the primary. They endorsed Elizabeth Warren and Amy Klobuchar. And their editorial ended, May the Best Woman win. Well, of course, there's a large hue and cry around. And the funniest thing was said by, I think, uh, I saw uh, Dan Rather, the former uh, CBS newsman, um, tweeted, I am endorsing the Kansas City Chiefs and the and the San Francisco 49ers <laughs> to win the Super Bowl. <laughs> Uh, yeah, I, I, I take the point. But before that, I want to, instead of an obit today, I want to do some lost history, some history that you don't know, that, uh, that blew me away. Um, and I just wanted to share it with you. Because it involves, first of all, a guy from uh, Pennsylvania. And... It involves the Congress of the United States. And I never knew this story. And I wonder why. Geez, there's so much of our history that we don't know. So there was a guy named Marlon Kemmerer. He was a young guy. He was 25 years old, a young kid. I mean, I think of that as a kid now. I'm sorry if you're... 25 and not a kid, good for you, but uh, I think most 25-year-olds are still kids. And that comes with, yeah, having, like I had a birthday this week, you know, being an old person like me. But the, the time is um, December 1932. And America, of course, was uh, in a horrible state um, in a depression but this Marlon Kemmerer was one of the lucky ones he was 25 years old and he had a job he had a job as a, a clerk in a department store in Allentown Pennsylvania actually the store was Sears Sears Roebuck and Company as it were then and he um, also was a gun nut. He, I mean, it's what we would call such a person today. His passion in life was guns. And he was good. I mean, he was an extraordinary marksman. And he, in fact, served as the guy who did ballistics training for the Allentown Police Force in marksmanship because he was that good. He was the officer of his local gun club, and in any exhibition or competition of shooting, uh, Marlon Kemmerer invariably came in first. So here he is, 25 years old, a, a really amazing gun shooter, and a guy with a job in the Depression. 
And he ended up going AWOL on that job. He didn't show up for work one day. He later called or wrote his boss and said, I'm, I'm down in Washington, I'm traveling to Washington, D.C. I will, I will uh, be back. But I have some business to attend to. Well, let me get his. He, so this is December 13, 1932. He doesn't show up for a job, which, you know, if you had one then, you wouldn't do that. And he wrote his boss saying, uh, we'll be back as soon as I can attend to business for the relief of the unemployed and the depression. So this 25-year-old goes down to Washington, D.C. to solve the Depression, apparently. He goes to the Congress of the United States, to the gallery, and interestingly, the House, and that's where he was, the House of Representatives, the House of Representatives had just held a vote and the vote was a resolution to impeach <laughs> President Herbert Hoover. Uh, the Congress at the time was overwhelmingly Republican, and consequently that impeachment uh, vote failed. All of a sudden, a page, one of the little kids who ran around uh, as gophers on the House floor, shouted that there's a guy with a gun in the gallery and he 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 shouted uh, run so the house of representatives man it emptied really fast but for two two of the congress people instead of running, looked up and saw this young guy with his gun. One was a woman. This is 1932. You don't think there's many women. And I'm sure she was like one of a, a handful. A woman named Edith Rogers. She was a congresswoman from Massachusetts. And there was a the other guy who stayed was a congressman from Minnesota. They didn't run. Everybody else is gone. They didn't run. Exceedingly calm. She walked over, like sort of under where he was. I got to say this about her. She had spent much of her free time um, counseling World War One uh, veterans, who we would now say had PTSD, what they said then were suffering shell shock. And she went uh, right up, looked up at Marlon Kemmerer, the Sears clerk from Allentown, and she said in a soothing voice, young man you won't do anything and the other guy a guy named Moss the one from Minnesota who was a marine in World War One he stood next to her and attempted also to get Kemmerer to calm down Kemmerer shouts, I demand a right to the floor for 20 minutes. And the congressman from Minnesota said, all right, all right, all right, son, but first you got to throw that gun down here. And Kemmerer thought about it, and then he dropped his gun into the congressman's hands. Of course, he did not get to make his speech because he hadn't noticed that coming up behind him was another congressman 
who had collared a an off-duty cop and they tackled him and that congressman was a guy named Fiorello LaGuardia mm -hmm, who would later become of course the mayor of New York City and I suppose most people know him for reading the comics to uh, the population during a, a newspaper uh, strike. Um, Kemmerer, it turns out, had written a 10-page speech that he thought was the way to get out of the <laughs> out of the depression and he's, he was dragged off he was saying I am for all the people anyway he ends up of course being a, a arrested uh, they they go to the rented room he had had and they found additional ammunition and sticks of dynamite and it turns out he had planned to use the explosives on himself in case his, he wasn't able to uh, do his, his deed. Um, and here's the thing that blew me away about this story. First of all, I love the fact that it was a, probably the only woman in the chamber <laughs> who didn't run. But also the fact that, of course, this guy gets charged. Now, what would happen to someone like that today? I mean, they would be sent away forever. 1932. And he was charged with assault with a dangerous weapon. Obviously, after this attempted um, attack, the Congress increased security and got rid of the guards in the gallery who were, uh, by law, all of these uh, aging Civil War veterans. They got kicked out, finally, replaced by a burlier crowd. And get this. Do you know how much time he served? He was released on January 13th, 1933. He did not even serve a year in jail. And he was released at the request of the House. By the end of January 1933, Marlon Kemmerer had returned to Allentown, Pennsylvania. He once again was competing in his rifle competitions. He got married. He had two children. And when he died in June of 2000, there was a small death notice in the Philadelphia Inquirer that simply described him as a devoted father and grandfather of seven. I don't know why this story touched me so much. When did we become the punitive nation that we are. When, when did that happen to us? Any 25-year-old who did this today would never be seen. Ch chances are they'd be dead. They would have been shot. And he went on to be a productive member of his community. To, and it was not what defined him. 
this youthful indiscretion of taking a gun to the house and demanding he have the floor so he could solve the depression. I don't know. That sort of makes me weep too. Okay. Let's go to the New York Times. I mean, it's a two-page, there is their endorsement of uh, Klobuchar and Warren. I have to tell you, Klobuchar got the, Klobuchar got the first uh, picture. And I think it's quite clear that the New York Times really wants her. Which is interesting, because I, I keep saying to people, look at Amy Klobuchar. And I mean that. Um, rather than Joe Biden, for instance. Um, if you want someone who's not going to blow everything up, but just sort of put us back on course, she might be uh, the best, the better candidate. I don't know. I don't have a clue. And one of the things the Times did said, I, I mean, I'm not going to, you know, snipe at them for it. I'm just going to give you uh, their reasoning. Uh, one of the things they say, first of all, um, is that for the Democrats, it is quite clear that uh, the Democrats are a divided party in a divided nation. And what this primary clearly has been about is which vision, the more radical vision of Warren, Sanders, etc., or the more steady institutionalist approach of a Joe Biden or an Amy Klobuchar and for that matter a lot of the ones who aren't there anymore uh, I would add Booker Harris uh, they were in some of the senators that have uh, dropped out um, the Times points out that any any one of the people that Democrats uh, will would nominate would be one of the most progressive presidents um, in decades <laughs> um, on issues like health care and, and the economy and where government resources go. But clearly, the difference in these two factions in the Democratic Party is is how you get there and some really want radical change and others want to maintain a measure of stability and hope that by doing so they won't scare the bejeebers out of those independent voters and moderate kind of Americans. The Times points out quite understandably that number one on Democrats uh, in terms of their parsing which candidate to support is who they think can beat Donald Trump. But the Times says this and I so agree with it it's why I keep saying, I'm just still extraordinary. I, of, co of course, I'm open because whoever they are, I'm voting for them. But the Times is right with this point they make. That trying to calculate who's the one who can beat Trump is something none of us know. None of us know. And the Times says, you know, if you think you, <laughs> you're the one who can figure out who's going to beat Trump, 
you might want to uh, get a little more humble um, because we don't know in these volatile, strange, frightening times. Um, some of where which way you go is whether or not you believe that our government is fundamentally broken. And if you think it's fundamentally broken, odds are you're going to the Bernie Sanders, Elizabeth Warren direction. And the time says it is true our elections are getting less free, less fair. Congress and the courts are frighteningly, seemingly partisan. Uh, there's misinformation out there that cannot be controlled and the money that has polluted and corrupted our electoral process. And so they term these two, these two visions, the radical vision, that's Elizabeth Warren and Bernie Sanders, and the realist model, which is, hey, the United States you know, you can say whatever you want as a candidate. Then you get to D.C. <laughs> and that's the reality. And the reality is you'll be dealing with a totally conservative Supreme Court who, if you try to do too much radical stuff, they will absolutely declare everything unconstitutional. You'll get absolutely nowhere. And if you don't take both the House and the Senate, you ain't going to get anything even to the point where it would end up at the court. So let's get real. Um, they dispense with Biden thusly. He maintains a lead in national polls, but that may be a measure of familiarity as much as voter intent. His central pitch is that he can beat Donald Trump. His agenda tinkers at the edges of issues like health care and climate, and he emphasizes returning the country to where things were before the Trump era. But merely restoring the status quo ain't going to get I'm not, that's my ain't, get America where it needs to go. And what's more, Biden is 77. It's time for him to pass the torch. Uh, that is obviously their problem with uh, Sanders as well, as well as the fact that they consider him um, unwilling ever to compromise and also a divisive uh, candidate. Um, and they said, we've had enough of the divisive people. Can we have people who might be able to work with others? Um, I'll just quote a few more things from there at the end of this. The next president will shape the direction of America's prosperity and the future of the planet perhaps irrevocably. The current president, of course, is a threat to democracy. Yet, Democrats would be wise to recognize that Trump's vision for America's future is shared by millions and millions of Americans. Any hope of restoring unity in the country will require modesty, a willingness to compromise and the support of the many demographics that make up the democratic coalition. Ms. Klobuchar and Ms. Warren right now are the Democrats best equipped to lead the debate that we must have. May the best woman win.
saying. Okay. Um, <clears throat> do, is our caller still there? All right, caller, go ahead, please. Sorry to keep you waiting. Hi, good morning, Lynn. This is Roger. Hi, I, Roger. I, I could wait. <clears throat> I'm working multitasking. Headset, all that good stuff. Um, I, did you? My wife sent me um, an interview that was from Salon. Uh, they were interviewing Rick Wilson. I guess he's a former GOP strategist. Did you see it, read about it, or anything like that? Yes. As a matter of fact, I have it right here. Uh, Rick Wilson. Um, he is mm -hmm. yes. He's a Republican operative who detests Donald Trump, and I'm going to quote something he says, okay, and I don't know if this is what your wife sent. He, he, warns, he warns Democrats that do not underestimate the evil that he represents. There is no bottom. There is no shame. There are no limits. Do not come, he's talking, I guess, about the impeachment fight and the election. Do not come to this fight believing that the Trump team views any action, including outward criminality, as off-limits. This doesn't mean you have to cheat, lie, or coerce, but it means you do have to fight or be counted among the do-nothings who allowed evil. To flourish. I don't know if that's what you saw, but that's the Rick Wilson quote I've got in front of me. Um, I, yeah, I think I recall that, but the, my big, I had two big takeaways from it. My biggest one was do not try to beat Trump with policy. He says, don't talk about all these highfalutin ideas. Hmm. He says, attack him, attack him, you know, attack him only on his record. Just, just attack. He says, he said Elizabeth Warren when she writes out her her big 600-page plan. He says, he says guys like me will pick out three or four sentences out of that and just beat the crap out of her with it. And he says that's what they're going to do. He says you cannot talk about policy because or or plans. You can't have plans when you're. He says you just got to go and attack. That's right. You have. He's, you know what? This it. is true. Right. You have to win. And as I said before. All the plans you have, you know, you vote for somebody because of the plans they have or what they say they'll do. And then, as I said, they get to Washington, D.C., and you can't just snap your fingers and do it. There's the Congress. There is the Supreme Court, this Republican Supreme Court that will plague us for the rest, God knows, of my life, your lives, and if you're, you know, 40 years old, your life. I mean, it is... It's crazy to think that if you vote for Bernie Sanders because Bernie says he's going to do this, he ain't, you ain't electing him to be the king. He's not going to be able but, to necessarily but, but, do it. But, that, but the thing that stuck with me more than that was people, especially in middle America, people don't want to think too hard when they vote. They want to go. They want to go and vote for the person that makes them feel good or gets them there. You know, I mean, like, obviously Al Gore was the most qualified candidate, but he bored the shit out of people. He, 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 he should have won that election hands down, but he, he out So did John Kerry. Almost, you know? So did John Kerry bore the shit out of people. So did uh, Michael Dukakis. Yeah. The Democrats have a real knack for electing people that just have zero uh, charisma. Um, I don't. I, I don't know. You can't. You can't. You just can't go in and think you're going to win people over with your ideas. That's I mean, right. That's, that's that, not that the way it works. Should. You're right. Yes. You're and right. The other thing he said was, he says, "You elect Bernie, you lose." He is our just like you know. He is the um, in middle America. He is might as well be the Kremlin. He is Khrushchev. He is he is communist unparalleled. He, he I'm basically just like he is completely unelectable because he has already been tainted. He's not even a member of the Democratic Party. He's like 
you, you, uh, and, and I have these arguments with my daughter and other young people. You, uh, even if you like them or not, it has nothing to do with it. You have to win this election, and Bernie's just a, another path to, to losing. He also, as and they point out not. in the Times, he's old as dirt, and he had a heart attack. I mean, come on. The other two things he said, yes. Seriously, I, I don't, Jesus. Well, good call, Roger, thank you. Thank you. Oh, and, and, and honestly, I, I think before it's all said and done, don't write, write Bloomberg off. Don't write him off. He's going to get himself in there somehow. And he's got, he can say, I'm, I'm more successful than this jackass. And, just, and, and you know, it, it's, you know, I think it's going to have to be a, a white guy. And I wish it was an energetic young person, but I don't think we're going to have an option. Sorry about that. Okay. Thank you. Thank you. Bye. 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 Yeah, I don't know. And again, I don't pretend to know. But I do know that the only way we beat them is no matter who our nominee is, we work. And it's about working for whoever it is and not getting freaked out with the inner personal fights that'll go on as they scrap to get the nomination. There has to be unification when we meet for the convention, no matter who emerges from there. We all have the people we think we want, or if you're like me, you still don't have a clue. Um, but you've got to be able to get Trump is I, the fact that anyone could vote for him is is so astonishing to me I'm not afraid of him I'm afraid of the people who vote for him what are they thinking what is their vision of an America it's frightening to me um, So, what else we got here? Oh, I've got, um, I'll save that for something, sometime else. Uh, I, I, I didn't say anything about this, but d you did probably note that the uh, state of Virginia, uh, newly under Democratic control, has uh, voted to ratify the Equal Rights Amendment to the Constitution, uh, which reads that uh, equality of rights under the law shall not be denied or abridged by the United States or by any state on account of sex. I think today they wouldn't say sex, they would say gender, right? Um, but, and that's what you need, 38 states, so so, well, here's, here's the problem. Uh, the ERA was first proposed in 1972, and um, after an extension, states had 10 years to ratify it, and you need three-fourths of the states to ratify it. Um, well, we got that now, but the Trump administration uh, says you don't have nothing now because uh, the deadline has long since expired. Now, yes, there was a, a deadline, but all this is going to do is force uh, a Supreme Court decision and here's where that Republican court is probably gonna be troublesome the deadline expired in 1982 and um, we've now got the three 
force of states. And I think, you know, if you would revisit some of the states that voted for it now, they'd probably vote against it today. I don't know. Um, but this is going to end up uh, at the Supreme Court. The Constitution itself doesn't in any way mention deadlines for ratification votes. So that is an issue that definitely would be taken up. I mean, if if the court are like originalists, you would say, what? founders didn't say anything about how long it can take, didn't say anything about deadlines, and in fact, um, in 1992, Alabama ratified an, a constitutional amendment that was initially pr proposed in 1789. So, I mean, limits there. That, by the way, limited congressional pay raises. raises. Um... So I, I know some people were confused about, so what? So they m ratified the ERA. Um, <coughs> technically, uh, there now are uh, the requisite number of states that have ratified it. And I don't know how it'll play out exactly, but um, I think it ends up, uh, yeah, at the Supreme Court. And your guess is as is good, as good as mine in that regard. So the, um, let me just quickly add that the, the article where I got these quotes from the Republican uh, Never Trumper Rick Wilson, it was in a, a piece by uh, Timothy Egan in the Times. And he pointed out about uh, how Trump's evil is contagious. And he points specifically to Trump's pardon or move to protect this Navy SEAL who had been accused of committing accused of committing war crimes killing a teenage boy posing with his corpse and Trump went after the military on that and instead of this guy ending up in jail for a long 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 time Trump makes him a national hero. This is evil. This is who our heroes are now. This kind of a man. And ask other SEALs, Navy SEALs, because one f SEAL told investigators referring to this guy, whose name is uh, Edward Gallagher, he said, the guy is freaking evil. Well, this freaking evil guy is to Trump a man, a real man. And so now he enjoys the president's company at Mar-a-Lago. Um, and Egan goes on to say, you know, you, we all knew and grew up hearing that warning about public morality, that the only way that evil triumphs is for good people to do nothing, to just sit, watch it happen, be appalled, but to do nothing. And Egan says the Trump presidency has shown just how many ostensibly good people will do nothing, and how evil, when given free reign at the very top, trickles down. That's what I was saying at the beginning of the show. Trump has so desensitized us 
that a day without, as Egan says, a round of blunt force cruelty from the White House would be an amazing day. And now it all comes down to a boil in this impeachment trial where the facts are not in dispute, but what is very much in doubt is whether there are enough good people in the Senate of the United States. Good people who will do nothing. All right, that'd be it. Thanks for uh, listening, and uh, I'll come back at you tomorrow. Have a great day. Lynn Cullen Live, Monday through Friday from 10 a.m. to 11 a.m. and archived at pghcitypaper.com. The opinions expressed on Lynn Cullen Live are those of the host and do not necessarily reflect the viewpoints of Pittsburgh City Paper or its advertisers.